Happy Easter journey. There we go. That was much better. I'm so glad that you all are here to celebrate this unbelievable church service and holiday experience with us. You know, last month on March 14th, a man from Grand Rapids, Michigan by the name of Bob Elveld had his obituary run in the local paper. Four days after that on March 18th, they had his funeral. And the next day on March 19th, he died. Now, for those of you who just checked in, let me say that again. On March 14th, his obituary ran in the paper. On March 18th, he had his funeral. And on March 19th, he died. You see, in 2015, he was diagnosed with a rare form of leukemia. And at the end of 2016, they gave him a terminal diagnosis and said, you're not going to make it very long. And at that point, he decided that he was going to write the end of his story, not cancer, that he was going to make the decisions for the end of his life. Cancer was not in charge. He was. Even in his obituary, which ran in the paper that I've got a picture that I want to show you of, he listed his birth date that was August of 1936 and then he listed his death date as not yet here's when I was born and I ain't dead yet he wrote his own he was going to decide the order that his life ended in he wrote the ending at the beginning before it came and did you know that tonight because of Easter you can do the exact same thing because of Easter you can decide what the end looks like before you get there because of Easter if your birth date is followed by a dash and your dash is followed by a not yet and if you're in the room tonight it is your dash is followed by a not yet you are in charge of how this life finishes and you are in charge of how the next one begins turn to somebody sitting near you and say the word finish now turn to your second choice and say the word start turn to the other person on the other side of you and say start because Easter is about starting and finishing Easter is about finishing and starting and while most races start and then they finish Easter shows us how in our life we can finish and then start Easter goes the other direction so if you have your Bibles tonight or if you have a Bible app on your phone or if you have a, a, a Journey Church app with you this Easter I want you to open it up we're gonna be in John chapter 19 and for those of you who are brand new, welcome. My name's Christian. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so glad that you've joined us for Easter weekend. We've been teaching a series for the last month at our church called Famous Last Words. We've been listening to Jesus speak from the cross, seven statements that he made in about the seven hours that he hung on the cross. And we've been learning some unbelievable things about what Jesus wanted us to know in his final moments from the cross. And tonight we're actually going to read three of those seven statements from an eyewitness who was there that day by the name of John. One of Jesus' friends who was at the cross, who heard everything that was going on, and who wrote them down and preserved them so that we could have them today. Three of the seven statements recorded by an eyewitness. We start in John chapter 19, verse 25. Jesus is on the cross. He looks down and sees some family and friends there. He begins speaking to them. And then what he says next and what he says last, they have great impact for you and I today when it comes to how we finish our life and how we start after that. It says, near the cross of Jesus in John 19, 25, stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here's your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Verse 28, later, 
knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant. They lifted it to Jesus' lips, and when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. Bob Elveld from Grand Rapids, Michigan, decided that he was going to write the end at the beginning. And because Jesus finished on Easter, you get to decide the exact same thing about your life because Easter is about finishing and Easter is about starting in that order. So I want to talk to you about those things before we dismiss and go home to have our Easter festivities with family. I want to talk to you tonight about finishing and about starting in that order. If you haven't already, I want to encourage you to take the notes out of your bulletin so you can follow along. It's kind of a grid of what I'll teach tonight in my Bible study or fire up the Journey Church International app. Everything you see on the screen will be on there. Here's what we learn about finishing. If we look one more time at Jesus' words in John 19.30, here's what John says. When Jesus had received the drink, he said, it is finished. Now, some of you in here have to be thinking the exact same question all at the same time. Those of you who are in here who did not grow up in church, those of you who are in here and you're not religious, you're not spiritual people, you're not church people, you wouldn't consider yourselves Christians, you're here because a family or friend or a neighbor invited you, you don't know all these Bible stories, you've got to be thinking, like, what's finished? Jesus says it's finished. What's finished? By the way, if you're here and you're in that group that I just mentioned, thank you for joining us on Easter. Like you are always welcome at our church to come and learn and ask questions. Our church is for people to like you to be able to check out Christianity a little bit. So we're so glad that you're here tonight. But you've got to be wondering, what's finished? Jesus said it's finished. What's finished? I didn't, I didn't hear the beginning of the story. You know, every now and then I travel doing ministry, and in February I had a lot of travel, and I seemed to always be getting home late after everyone was in bed, and I came home in late February. After midnight one night, the house was dark, the kids were asleep, I could tell the dog was asleep, all the lights were out. I walked upstairs to our bedroom, um, and the lights were off, but when I walked into the bedroom, my wife was sitting up in bed, my wife Danielle, and she was crying. Now, when you've been away, and you walk into the house and your wife is sitting up in bed after midnight crying, you immediately, in my, pers- in, in my situation, you go through two things real thought in your head. What did my teenage son do um, that I'm walking into tonight? Or what did I do that I'm not aware of? I just see my wife sitting up in bed crying. So I walk in expecting to get a, hey, so glad to see if she's even awake. And she's sitting there crying. And I said, what's, like, what's wrong? And she just points to the TV, which is on. And I look at the TV, and Mandy Moore is on my TV, and she's crying too. And she's talking to a guy she calls Jack, and Jack is crying too. And I asked Danielle, I was like, what, what, like, what, what is this? And she said, this is, this is us. And I said, what, what is, what's us? Like, is this story about us? And she's like, no, it's a TV show called This Is Us, which I'd never heard of. On this trip, Danielle had started binge-watching this show, which apparently you have to cry at at the end of every episode because they're all very, very sad and moving. And she was on the final episode, and she was crying. And she had to take me back to the beginning because I was really confused. I thought it was us, but it, I mean, it was us, but it wasn't us together. So she had to catch me up from the beginning. What is Jesus saying is finished? Well, Jesus was finishing a process this started at the very beginning of humanity's interaction with God. 
Jesus was finishing something that was thousands of years old. So I, I want to go back to the beginning with you. I want you to follow me back as we journey through the pages of this Bible, starting at the first one. We're going to end up at the last one. I've been telling our church for the last month, I want to teach them the soundtrack of Easter. I want them to not just be able to see three crosses, but hear what Jesus was saying. Now I kind of want you to learn the story of Easter with Jesus as we go back to the beginning. You know, when we start scene one of when we open the Bible is what we call creation. Scene one is creation and it is awesome. We enter a story living in a perfect world with perfect people who are living in perfect connection to God. We meet a a married couple. Their names are Adam and Eve. They're living in the most beautiful place that you could ever imagine being. If you could think of the most beautiful place you've ever been, theirs was better. It was called the Garden of Eden. Sometimes people referred to it as the Garden of the Gods. And they were just living like, like daily. They would hang out with God and take walks. They had all the animals that were perfect tame. I mean, it was the best world you could ever imagine. It was perfect. Let me ask you, when's the last time you had a perfect day? What you think about it? When's the last time you laid your head on your pillow and you said, you know, that day was perfect? Have you had a perfect day? Do you have a perfect life? Because you know, deep inside everyone lives the dream for the perfect life. I, I believe so. The Bible in a a book called Ecclesiastes in the third chapter in the 11th verse, a, a man named Solomon who God gave wisdom of the mindset of people said even on our best days, God plants eternity in our heart because every one of our perfect days comes to an end. But something inside says, man, what if it was day after day after day like this? Like what if there could be not a perfect day but a perfect life? And Solomon said every human being lives and wishes that they could be in a perfect world, but the best days always end. And sadly for us, the best season of creation ended, and we get into scene two very quickly in the story that God tells us, and I call it corruption. The the second scene of corruption is one where we see a broken world that's now filled with broken people who are living in a broken relationship with God. Like everything is going wrong and the world of corruption had three things wrong in it that I think if you look around at today's world, you would say, man, it, like it still feels like we're living in this world. The, the world of corruption had sin. Sin is missing God's mark. It's not doing things the way God wants them to be done. You say, what did Adam and Eve do that was so bad? Really nothing. I mean, like they ate from the wrong tree. I don't think we would call them the most immoral people who ever lived in, on the face of the earth. But basically what you had is you had two people, there were only two alive in the whole world, two people who decided they wanted to live life their way instead of God's way. And you know what that has turned into? Seven billion people now who want to live life their way instead of God's way. And, and we're kind of living in a mess, if you haven't noticed, because from the, the ruler of Syria to the ruler of Russia to other countries, when you live for yourself, sometimes it, it, it's a conflict with everyone else. But that's what sin did to break our world. It ended up creating death. You know, God created humanity, we learned, so that they would live forever. They would never get sick. They would never die. But after they began to do things their own way, God said, all right, you you can do things your own way, but it's going to end badly. Eternal life would end prematurely in death. And probably worse was this thought of disconnect, that humanity would lose its eternal and perfect connection to God. So as you lived in a world where everyone was living for themselves and tragedy and crisis was always happening, it didn't feel like God was there to help you through these difficult times. That was the world of corruption. If we could be honest, some of us in this room have never left this world. 
Like it's the world we live in all day, every day. It's just broken. All of us were born into this world. We were all born into a world that was hopelessly broken, dying, and disconnected from God and the things of God. We see it all around us. We watch it on our TVs. We hear it on our radios. Some of us, if we were to be honest, have embraced it for a season. Because between the ages of 17 and, I don't know, 21, 17 and 31, 17, and maybe it's still going for you, you kind of don't want anyone to tell you what to do. You want to do things your way, not God's way. There's a lot of people still doing that. But some of us would like to escape it, and we just don't feel like we can. Like, if this is corruption, we would like to leave that world, but we don't feel like we can. But we can. Because of Easter, we can. We enter scene three of this story that God gives us, and I call scene three head crusher. You say, why? Because you're, you do like WWE wrestling? No, I don't. Actually, I don't watch much of it. I actually met Stone Cold Steve Austin one time. He was really big, and he cussed at me and my friends, which we thought was really cool at the time. Um, but other than that, that, that's like my only big-time wrestling story. But head crusher sounds like it'd be a great name for a wrestler. But it's actually God's word. It's what God said would happen because of corruption. God speaking to the fallen angel who was the source of evil. God speaking to the source of corruption, a a person the Bible calls Satan, a person the Bible calls the devil. God speaking to him after creation had been corrupted said this, I'm going to put enmity or tension, hatred between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he's going to crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. You read that, and you're like, yeah, he's going to crush his head, a head crusher. This, by the way, is the first prophecy. For those of you who are, who are new to church, like, what's prophecy mean? It's a, it's a prediction of the future that hasn't come through yet. It's when God tells someone, here's what's going to happen in the future. That is prophecy. It's the first future prediction of a man who would be born of a woman... Shout out to everyone who was here at Christmas. That's Christmas time when a man was born of a woman from heaven. His name is Jesus, candy cane, stocking, Santa. We get, we get Christmas. It's the first time it was predicted that that would happen and it would lead to this. A man would be born at Christmas time who through his life would overcome corruption. The corruption of sin, he could break that. The corruption of death, he could give you something better than that. The, the disconnect from God... He could end that so you could be connected to God. What Genesis 3.15 is, is it's a promise. It's a promise of restored connection to God, a promise of eternal life in a perfect world with perfect people and an eternal connection to God. It, it, It was basically creation recreated, but it was an event that would happen in the future. And until that sin and corruption would reign, Sin and corruption and disconnect from God. Sin, death, and disconnect would be normal. And listen, it would be painful. And some of you are in here today and your life right now is painful. Because of corruption, your life is painful. You've just lost somebody recently that was very, very close to you. Death is painful. You've had someone who decided you weren't more important than them, so they left you and your family to go live for themselves, and it was painful. You feel like God has just left you all on your own, and it is painful. Look again at this prophecy in Genesis 3. God knew it would be painful. He said, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. Sounds awesome, but you are going to bruise his heel. Have you ever had a bruised heel? Man, they're painful. 
They're painful and they make you limp. Have you ever, have you ever had a bruised anything? Have you ever had a broken bone? So my dad was a high school football coach when I was growing up, so I was destined to play football even though I didn't really have the toughness of a football player. And in seventh grade, I learned how to tackle this way. I learned how to tackle by getting in the way of the person who had the ball and just hoping that when he ran over me, he would trip and fall down. Like that's how I would record a tackle. But stand in his way, I kind of closed my eyes, and as he ran over me, I just hope he tripped on some part of my body. And I got several tackles like that. On one of those occasions, I actually kind of caught the kid as he was falling, and his helmet ended up kind of right in my armpit, and it shattered my upper arm so high up in my arm that they couldn't tell whether my arm had been broken or my shoulder had been dislocated because there was so much pain so high, and I just had no movement in my upper arm. They you know, brought the ambulance on the field and rushed me to the hospital, and they took the x-rays, and I remember the doctor coming in to me, first time I'd really ever had an injury, and he's saying, I got good news. It's broken. It's not dislocated. I was like, how is that good news? Like, how is it good news that my arm has been broken? And so we got to understand, breaks are bad, but dislocations are dangerous. Like, breaks are bad, but we can heal them. But when a joint gets dislocated, the blood stops flowing to it, and the entire arm could die if it was dislocated. Breaks are bad, dislocations are dangerous. I ask you if you've ever had a bruised heel. Let me change the question. Have you ever had a bruised heart? Because when we have bruises on our body, you know, they heal. But when we have bruises to our heart and our spirit, sometimes we get dislocated. And the hope that God wants to give us, it doesn't get into our heart anymore. And the peace that God wants us to have, it doesn't get into our heart anymore. And the spirit that God wants us to have to comfort, it doesn't get there anymore. Sometimes when our spirit gets wounded, we get dislocated from what God would want to do. You know, Miranda Lambert, just won the American Country Music Album of the Year, and at the AMC Awards just a few weeks ago, she sang one of her hits off that new album. It's called Tin Man, where she addressed the Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz about her broken heart. She'd just gone through a marriage breakup. She said, hey there, Mr. Tin Man. You don't know how lucky you are. I've been on the road that you're on, and it didn't get me very far. Take it from me, darling. You don't want a heart. Some of you are sitting in here today and your heart has been so badly wounded by corruption, sin, and death, and disconnect that you're fearful of ever letting Jesus or a church or a pastor or a friend or a man or a woman or a child ever back in. But because of Easter, Jesus says, I can pry open that heart and I can make it begin to beat again. You say, it's going to take some supernatural Christian to let me trust again. In Easter, the supernatural happened. And in Easter, we can experience healing. If this is you today and you're in here and you're hurting, man, I'm praying that today is the day you'll begin to heal. I'm glad you have wandered into our church on this Easter weekend. And I'm praying that today, this will be the day that you begin to heal. Maybe God had us do this service here just for you and just for this purpose. Scene three is a head crusher where God will allow us to get healthy again. But then scene four is the culmination of this promise. Scene four is where we pick up on the cross. Scene four happens 5,000 or so years after the plan was announced. And Jesus, in one word in the Aramaic language, the word tetelestai, which is translated in three English words, it is finished. Jesus, in one word, said creation, corruption, 
The promise of a head crusher, perfection restored, that is all finally done. Everyone can have it. Now, finally, this process is finished. When we define this Greek word, it means to bring to a close. It means to complete. It means to fulfill. It's not a moment in time. It's the end of something that's been happening over a long period of time. Jesus is saying the corruption of sin on your life, that's finished if you want it to be. Jesus is saying that fear of death for you and others and losing all hope, that is finished if you want it to be. Jesus is saying that disconnect you feel from God, that's finished if you want it to be. They're all finished. The perfection is restored. The broken is healed. From this point in history, every ounce of your brokenness will be met with an ocean of healing. All the pain is finished. You can begin to experience something else now because of Jesus. Some of you are in here and you're listening to that and you're thinking, if that's real, I want that. Like, if, if that's really real, I want that. How do I start that? So Easter's about finishing, but then I'm glad you asked the question. How do I start that? It's about starting. I want you to look at this verse one more time in John 19.30. It says, when Jesus had received his drink, he said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up. His spirit. You see, after finishing, you get to start over. You say, like, when, you, when I die, Christian, when I die, I get to start over? No, like, I mean tonight. When you finish, and when you're finished living in a world of corruption, trying to do things your own way, when you're finished with that, you get to start over, and it's your choice of the timing that you choose. Luke, who wrote a story about Jesus' life as well and interviewed eyewitnesses who were there at the cross that day, said Jesus didn't just give up his spirit, but he actually spoke the words in a loud voice, Luke 23, 46. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. He committed his finish to God, believing that something else would start. Let me ask you a key question on this Easter. What have you committed your life to after this life? What have you committed your spirit to after this life? Let me rephrase that question. When you take your last breath on this earth, what moment in life will you be counting on for what happens next? What will you be looking forward to when they come and say, this is it, probably the next time you fall asleep, you're not gonna wake up again. What moment in your life will you be counting on to have peace in that moment? And what will you be looking forward to after that moment? Because Jesus was able to commit his spirit to God without any fear. My son goes to a, a, a Christian school in our community called Summit Christian Academy. He's a freshman there. I mean, they've had a hard year. In the last month, they've had a senior at their school die of a very rare form of cancer. And listen, two weeks later, one of their teachers passed away. Within literally two weeks of each other, they had a senior in high school and one of their teachers die. Then they sent all the parents an email and they said this teacher whose husband had died a few years before she did and who had loved Jesus and couldn't wait to go see Jesus on the last day of her life told her nurse as she got ready to fall asleep, I won't be seeing you tonight. I've got a date. I won't be seeing you tonight. I've got a date. What she was saying is my spirit is committed to Jesus. I believe my husband's there. I believe Jesus is there. And I'm going there. So let me ask you the question. What have you committed your spirit to after this life? You see, faith in something is better than faith in nothing. But real faith takes trust 
It takes trust in Jesus and what he did for you. Have you ever Googled the word trust? Just Googled it to see what a picture of trust looks like. I did this a few weeks ago. I Googled trust and just went to images and said, what does trust look like? And I found some pictures that I want to show you. The first one is a picture which I, I don't know if it's a picture of trust or if it's a picture of ignorance, but this is someone hanging off the side of a mountain who I guess trusts the person holding her up. The next picture certainly is a picture of ignorance, not trust, because this guy is going to shoot this apple off this lady's head. And then, of course, there was a picture of the trust fall, which, you know, you get paid big money to go into a business and teach them to fall backwards and let teammates catch each other. Um, that, that's what Google says trust looks like. Do you know the Bible says the picture of spiritual trust looks like rest? The picture of spiritual trust looks like peace. The picture of spiritual trust looks like being confident in what happens after we finish because of Jesus. A picture of spiritual trust looks like this. I won't be seeing you tonight. I've got a date. You know, we read about an event in John's book that shows us trust. Jesus had a friend named Lazarus who had died. Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. All three of them were really close with Jesus. And four days after, Jesus had, after Lazarus had died, Jesus showed up in the hometown and the sisters came up and they said what all of us have thought when someone close to us has passed away. They looked at Jesus and literally said, why didn't you do something? Like if you really love people, if you're really God, if you're really powerful, how could you let this happen? And Jesus asked Martha, Lazarus' oldest sister, a really weird question. He asked her a question that actually couldn't be answered. He asked her a question that seemed to be mocking her. As they stood outside her brother's tomb, Jesus in John eleven twenty six said this to Martha. Martha, listen, whoever lives by believing in me is never going to die. Do you believe this? Now he said that four days after her brother had died, standing outside his tomb, that almost seems to be a disrespectful question because Jesus knew that Lazarus knew him and loved him and believed that he was who he said he was spiritually. So Jesus says to Martha, you know, anyone who believes in me is never going to die, don't you? And I think Martha probably had to look at the tomb, look at Jesus, look at the tomb, look at Jesus, look at the tomb, look at Jesus, and think, I don't know what you're talking about. But in her response, she said this. She didn't answer that question. Instead, she answered a bigger question. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord. I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God who's to come into the world. She basically said, I don't know what your question means, and I don't know how it works that people live again after they die, but I trust you. And because I trust you, I will believe that and I will have peace in my heart over that. I can't know for sure what happens after this life, but I have committed my spirit that it's what Jesus says will happen. Which leads to scene five, Easter Sunday, which we call recreation. You see, in scene five, we get to experience going all the way back a recreation. And we see that Jesus was okay finishing because he knew what he was starting. He knew when he breathed his last and said, all right, God, I'm coming home, that a perfect and eternal connection to God was not just his again in a perfect and eternal place, but he knew he had broken down the door so that anyone in Lee Summit, Missouri in 2017 who wanted to come to that place could. He said, it's finished and it's all been recreated. If you ever go to Israel with me, I've been several times with folks in our church to do mission work there. The place that will impact you the most is the tomb. And the interesting thing about the tomb in Israel that Jesus was buried in is it doesn't look like any of the graveyards you'll ever go to in the United States of America because it's a tomb that's empty. 
It's a tomb that's open. It's not a place that signifies death and mourning. It's a place that signifies life and hope and joy because Jesus opened the way for recreation. In the last seven weeks, we've been learning about the cross, but here's what you need to understand as we prepare to close and our band gets ready to come back this evening. Easter is not just about a cross. Easter is about a crossroads. Easter is about people living their life one direction and coming to a place where they get to choose whether or not they want to continue in sin, brokenness, and death or whether they want to turn off to a route where all of those things have been fixed through Jesus. Easter is the intersection of broken people living in a broken world who get to head towards a different place if they want to. And I actually believe with all my heart God brought some of you here this Easter so that you could have the choice to turn on a different road. You say, Christian, you really believe God brings certain people to specific places just so that he can minister to them? I do with all of my heart. And a few weeks ago, I got an email that proves this again. I got an email from a lady who lives in our community who does not go to our church, but she visited our church. And she sent me her email and she said, I don't go to your church, but you need to hear my story so you can keep doing what you're doing. And in this email, she told me about how she grew up on a farm off of 150 Highway, which is down where our church is located. And how as a 13-year-old, her family hired a family to come and live with them to work their farm, and how the 21-year-old son and that family began to sexually abuse her. And how she got pregnant one time after she was raped. She told me about how she came to school, this school, and she almost flunked out because she couldn't get out of the bathroom because she was so morning sick all the time or she was just so tired. She talked about how she had to transfer from this school because you can imagine, like I do, the bullying that she endured, the 14-year-old girl who was going to have a baby. But she carried it to term and she had the baby. She gave it up for adoption, went on living her life, and eventually she met a man who basically showed her she could open her heart again to people. And eventually together, they opened their heart to God and they became a family. She had more kids. God began to radically change her future. But it was at our church one day where he dealt with her past. This is where her story picks up. As she came to visit our church, she wrote to me, and I think it'll be on the screen so that you can read it. Christian, I strive to be the best I can to show my three kids now and everyone that my past is not going to keep me any longer in chains. A few months ago, I decided to attend a new church my sister had been going to. As we pulled into the parking lot, my heart began to sink and my hands began to shake. We were pulling into what was my old driveway. But the driveway to the house that shattered my whole world nine years ago, the, the driveway to the house that shattered my whole world nine years ago, but the house was no longer there. It was gone. There stood a brand new building that is now Journey Church International. As we parked, I started to stall. We went into the sanctuary and my knees were weak. I didn't think I could do it. I wanted to walk back out, but I felt God reaching down his arms saying, it's okay, I got you. I stood worshiping the Lord in what had been my old room and tears began to roll down my face. I was amazed that the Lord had brought me to where I was today and how he had turned my life around. 
I can feel God's presence in my life now more than ever. And I've currently been living by Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. Answers don't always come right away or in the way that we want. We have to remember that God's plan is greater than ours. Sometimes we just have to be still and let him guide us in the right direction. It might take nine years, but his time will come. It was one sentence in her email to me as the pastor of the church that now sat on the property where her life was devastated. She said, I felt in that moment as if God had opened heaven and was reaching down for me in that place to heal what had happened. I believe today we stand at the gate of heaven again. And I believe today in this school auditorium that God is opening up the heavens again and he's reaching down to heal and to comfort and to bring new life and to put back together what has been dislocated so your heart can feel again. Churches can't create moments like this. We can't make up stories like this. But we have to recognize when God has opened a window to heaven so we can go in a different room and we have to respond to it. Is there a chance that God brought you here this Easter to respond and head in a different direction? I want to introduce you to some of my friends as we close our service this Easter who've come to this crossroads. Friends who go to our church, stories who I've watched unfold. People who decided to finish their old life and head on a new direction. As our band begins to play this Easter, would you consider the crossroads of your story tonight as they share what happened at the crossroads of theirs? Just love. 
I need to start watching the run-through before I preach. Because, <laughs> man, it's just so moving to see the hearts of friends. For Easter, it's not about a cross. It's about a crossroads. You see, if there's not a date after your dash, you're still in charge of how you finish and what comes after that. If you're not dead, God's not done. And tonight together we stand at a crossroads. What are you going to do? On one path, the path maybe you've been living on is sin, doing it your own way, death, and disconnect. The other's healing and brokenness, perfection restored internally, one day eternally. Which one will you choose? Like Bill Elville, you're in charge of what happens next. Would you bow your heads with me this Easter?